Well, what are you doing here, then? I don't like crowds, and I detest this city. The doctor jerks his head back as though a fist has struck him. He frowns. You're mistaking your enemy, young man. Nobody detests Beirut. I detest it. You're wrong. Beirut has suffered a lot. It's touched bottom, but it's been miraculously cured. Although it seemed to be on its last legs not so long ago, now it's starting to recover, still groggy and feverish, but hanging on. I find it admirable. What's to criticize? What don't you like about it? Everything. That's pretty vague. Not to me. I don't like this city, period. The doctor doesn't insist. Well, to each his own. Cigarette? He holds the packet toward me. I don't smoke. He offers me a can. Would you like a beer? I don't drink. Dr. Jalal places the beer can on a little wicker table and leans on the parapet wall. We stand there shoulder to shoulder. His alcoholic breath strangles me. I don't remember ever having seen him sober. In his early fifties, he's already a wreck, with a purplish complexion and a concave mouth furrowed at the corners. This evening, he's wearing a tracksuit stamped with the colors of Lebanon's national soccer team. The top is open, revealing a blood-red sweatshirt, and the laces on his new sneakers are undone. He looks as though he just got out of bed after a long nap. His movements are languid, and his eyes, usually lively and passionate, are barely visible through puffy lids. With a weary gesture, he pats his hair into place on the top of his skull, camouflaging his bald spot. He asks, Am I disturbing you? I say nothing. I was getting bored in my room. Nothing ever happens in this hotel. No banquets, no weddings. It's like an old folks' home. He raises the can of beer to his lips and takes a long pull. His prominent Adam's apple makes each swallow visible. I notice for the first time a nasty scar running all the way across his throat. My frown doesn't escape him. He stops drinking and wipes his mouth with the back of his hand. Then, nodding his head, he turns toward the hysterical lights of the boulevard below us. Once, a long time ago, I tried to hang myself he says, leaning out over the parapet. With a length of hempen twine, I was barely eighteen. He takes another swallow and continues. I had just caught my mother with a man. His words are disconcerting, but his eyes hold mine fast. I must admit that Dr. Jalal has often taken me by surprise. I never know what to make of his frankness. I'm not used to confessions of this sort. In Kafir Karam, such revelations would be fatal. I've never heard anyone speak like this about his mother, and the doctor's casual way of spreading out his dirty linen confounds me. Such things happen, he adds. I agree, I say, hoping the conversation will move on. Agree with what? I'm embarrassed. I don't know what he's getting at, and it's tiresome to have nothing to say. Dr. Jalal drops the subject. We're not cut from the same cloth, he and I. And when he talks to someone like me, it must be like addressing a wall.
Nevertheless, solitude weighs on him, and a bit of a chat, however inane, will serve at least to keep him from sinking into an alcoholic coma. When Dr. Jalal's not talking, he's drinking. He's a fairly serene drunk, but he doesn't trust the world he's fallen into. No matter how often he tells himself he's in good hands, he's never convinced it's the truth. Aren't those the same hands that fire weapons in the dark, slit throats, strangle people, and place explosive devices under selected chairs? It's true that there haven't been any punitive operations since he landed in Beirut, but his hosts have a record of bloodbaths, and what he reads in their eyes is unmistakable. Their death on the march. One false step, one indiscretion, and he won't even have time to understand what's happening to him. Two weeks ago, Imad, a young...